Welcome to The View from Apollo, a podcast where we discuss current macroeconomic trends and break down how they'll impact our investors. I'm your host, Torsten Slock. I'm Chief Economist here at Apollo Global Management. Each episode, I'll be joined by leaders from across our business who will share their unique perspective on the market factors that are shaping sectors and investment strategies. You can catch new episodes by subscribing to The View from Apollo on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or by visiting our homepage, apollo.com. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Torsten Slack, and you're listening to The View from Apollo podcast. In this episode, we'll talk to Matt O'Mara, a partner and portfolio manager here at the firm. Matt is an expert in building alternative portfolios across many different sub-asset classes, including private equity, private debt, and much more. And it's quite apropos for us to have Matt on the show. That's because we have several secular shifts taking place in financial markets today that are challenging the mantra that investing in a traditional 60-40 portfolio of public stocks and bonds is the key to a successful retirement plan. And we believe that adding alts to one's portfolio might help. So without any further ado, Let's get right to it. Hi, Matt, and thanks for being here with us today. Before we get started, please tell us who you are and what you do here at Apollo. Uh, Hi, Torsten. Thanks for having me. So I'm Matt O'Mara, and I lead a team here within Apollo that manages portfolios of alternative investments. So the portfolios we manage for clients attempts to generate high returns with low risk. Um, We we like to say that we're getting equity returns, um, but having fixed income volatility. Um, within that, in that key objective, the fund has a broad mandate. Uh, so we invest in a, a diverse set of opportunities, includes fund investments, direct investments, and co-investments uh, across a broad range of opportunity, uh, mostly sourced by teams here at Apollo, but also partnered with some trusted third parties. So to give you a, li- a little bit more of a sense, in, in our portfolios, we may have a commitment to something like the Apollo flagship PE fund or allocations to real estate or you know, portfolios of royalties or to direct investments in leasing companies or, or lending companies. Again, all with the goal of constructing a portfolio that generates low teens returns uh, while, while trying to minimize risk. Well, thanks, Matt, and welcome to the podcast. First, I'd like to set the scene for our conversation today. Traditional portfolios of publicly traded stocks and bonds have suffered a lot so far this year as the Fed ended the printing presses. Let me hear your take on this. Yeah, so I mean, if you if you back up, you know, the backdrop here is really, you know, starts in 2008 or so when we saw a massive expansion of monetary conditions. Uh, so during the heart of the financial crisis, um, let's say from 2007 to 2009, uh, the Fed grew its balance sheet by about a, a a trillion dollars, which is you know about doubling in in size. Uh, so at that point, the market was awash in liquidity, and as, as the Fed tried to avoid a repeat of the Great Depression, you know, from then uh, until until COVID, you know the Fed kept policy relatively loose and continued to expand the balance sheet. But what really set things ablaze was the steps taken since the beginning of COVID. To combat the drop in economic activity due to lockdown policies, the Fed pumped more than four times as much liquidity into the market as it did in the financial crisis, uh, which in and of itself was an unprecedented action. So in all, including the financial crisis through COVID, the Fed increased the size of its balance sheet by over $8 trillion. 
So the result of this is that it, as is typical in a cycle, you know, easy money flows first to safer assets and then over time uh, as yields or returns you know, compress, uh, return seeking investors start to march down towards riskier and riskier assets. And eventually opportunities that are marginal and, and, and maybe shouldn't be able to attract investment dollars get financed. So then of course now, like everything is being turned on its head. Um, so we've had skyrocketing inflation uh, over the last year or so, rising to a, an eight percent or, or or larger annual rate, you know whether you know, supply side issues, you know lockdowns disrupting global supply chains, uh, or demand side issues, you know people feeling flush from from all this liquidity. Um, Taurus, I guess that's that's more your area, but the the result is is clear. You know sky, skyrocketing inflation, so the Fed has to do something, and they started tightening monetary conditions. And that has caused an enormous value destruction in public markets. As of you know, today, the S&P is down uh, about 18%, the NASDAQ a little bit more. And what's interesting is that you know, not only equity markets are down, but also you know, bond markets. Uh, so the, the Barclays Ag is down you know, over 11%. So the you know the easy money over the last thirty or forty years the the constant drumbeat of higher equity valuations lower yields you know appears to be over you know what what for most of my career has been a, a Fed put you know at least for now is it seems to be gone um, investors are now experiencing their first real bear market in yields but most of them you know for the first in their careers uh, it's just a whole different ball game for investors going forward. Well, that's quite a journey that we've been through for the past 14 years, for sure. But Matt, are there other secular shifts underlying these changes as well? Can you talk about them? Yeah, sure. So, you know, one of the things that we think about, there was uh, some some data put out by the World Bank around you know, the number of publicly listed companies. And and that number has decreased by about 40%, you know, from you know, close to 7,000 uh, down to to four thousand. So the opportunities in publicly listed companies has has declined. The opportunity set, and at the same time, the number of private companies has increased. Um, and these aren't just you know mom and pop companies that that are increasing. There's notable increases in private companies with uh, you know five hundred employees or more. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. All this has been happening as private markets have also been increasing their size in the economy. Is that right? Yeah, that's that. That is right. Now, private markets are a relatively small subset of you know the overall economy or the overall market, uh, but they have in, increased pretty dramatically. So, private equity uh, over the last twenty years has has doubled as a percentage of of markets, and credit you know more so. Credit as as a percentage of of uh, total credit markets, private credit has increased by you know five times. I think it's just many companies are finding that being public isn't always their best choice. Uh, on the on the equity side, you know, part of it is a function of regulatory requirements from you know, Sarbanes-Oxley or uh, Wall Street quarterly earnings expectations, you know, trying to get out from from under that. Uh, and on the debt side, it's, you know, trying to find you know, flexible structure and documentation that, you know, that are available in in private markets but but less so in public. Yeah, and another important trend that we witnessed is the rising concentration in the public markets and the scarcity of excess returns, with a lot of folks turning to passive as a potential solution. Maybe you could talk to us about these trends. Yes, pa passive investing has been just like a, a, a really important trend over the last fifty years. Uh, so you know, the first index fund you know launched sometime in the mid seventies, and it's just you know sort of been a steadily 
growing phenomenon. Over the last 10 years, active equity mutual funds uh, and ETFs have had positive fund flows of over $3 trillion. And you compare that to active funds, uh, th those have seen you know, outflows of, of about $2 trillion over the same period. The dynamic is fueled by you know, lower fees and, and general outperformance. You know, only about 30% of managers outperform the S&P over three years. Uh, and that number drops meaningfully if, if measured over longer periods. The downside of passive strategy, of course, is that it's difficult to assemble a portfolio with a view. It's a little bit of you get what you get. Also, you know, some passive strategies may actually create market volatility. It's, it's the same funds chasing the same investments uh, and, and compounded somewhat by you know, most index funds being, being market cap weighted. Well, and that's super interesting because all of this seems to be leading to a much higher level of correlation between public assets, hasn't it? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, let's take a moment and summarize what we just talked about. You know, the fewer public companies, so fewer opportunities to invest. Um, the opportunities are a shrinking portion of the economy. And because of the popularity of passive investment investing, you have more people investing in the same strategies. So concentrating wealth into fewer public investments representing a shrinking portion of the economy, you know, with that as a backdrop, it, it shouldn't be surprised uh, that correlation between public assets has, has increased. Uh, and that correlation is, is problematic. You think about an investor's traditional 60-40 portfolio construction, so 60% in equities and 40% in bonds, that allocation was really successful over the, the, the past few decades. You know, historically, because you know, bonds and equities haven't really been that correlated. So if, if your equity por portion is outperforming, you know, bonds aren't uh, and vice versa, it's, it's been a nice mix. But more recently, as, as you're seeing increased high correlation, you know, that 60-40 that split, it's just not as effective as it once was. And another upshot of these secular shifts is higher volatility. I know you have written about it in a recent white paper that you published, which, by the way, is available for download at Apollo.com for those listeners who are interested. Uh, why should investors be worried about rising volatility? So in, in the paper, we have a, a very simple mathematical exhibit where we took a starting portfolio and exposed them to diff, two different series of returns. Uh, in, in one series of return, we just held at a, at a levelized return. So same, same return every single year. In the second, we exposed the portfolio to a volatile stream of series of returns, but where the average return uh, equaled the return in, in that first case. The terminal value of the first case, the one with the levelized return, was meaningfully higher than the case with the volatile returns. And, and it just underscores uh, the concept that there is a real cost of volatility. Uh, and it's important that investors realize that. So we have a lot going on. How can investors address these issues? So one thing that is you know, near, to, near and dear to my heart and, and that investors should do is consider adding alternatives. Uh, to their asset allocation. Um, so, so let's first let's talk about what an alternative is. We at Apollo have come to define alternatives as, as simply an alternative to publicly traded stocks and bonds. I think the market has a, a little bit different definition, which is you know in, encompasses hedge funds and private equity. Um, you know, but we 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 take a larger uh, approach. Um, so pre pretty big universe if you think about you know the alternatives to to publicly traded stocks and bonds. But within that, our favorite alternatives are, are strategies or opportunities where you can get excess returns per unit of risk. 
so w once you start thinking about alternatives as just an alternative to public markets, then you can start to easily imagine how you could use alternatives in your portfolio. You simply just start replacing some of your public exposures uh, for you know, similarly situated alternatives. So imagine you're an investor again with a, the 60-40 allocation of, of public equities and bonds. Historically, you can expect you, you've you've done pretty well, and you, and you probably should expect to do too well in the future. Uh, may, maybe you've been able to get a return in the mid to high single digits. Your bond exposure has diversified away some of the risk of the equity exposure. But as we talked about, the, the risks of that on a go-forward basis are are increased. So the introduction of alternatives can do a couple of things. Uh, you know, first, correlation. And so as we've talked about, correlations in public assets have increased, but alts have really remained you know, less correlated. So th there's some risk protection. Also, the alternatives offer or can offer a higher return per unit of risk. And that can allow for better expected outcomes when blended into the portfolio. So you construct a portfolio um, using alternatives with, with higher expected returns for the same level of risk. Uh, or you can dial back the risk at the same expected return level. You know, in finance investment terms, you know what we would say is it, it causes a shift outwards of the efficient frontier. To put some numbers around it, in the paper, you know, we calculated a couple of scenarios, and one in particular that, that jumps out to me is there's a 60/40 portfolio that historically generated a nine percent returns with nine percent volatility. And if you take half of that equity and you allocate it to a basket of alternatives. So uh, now a 30, 30, 40 portfolio, uh, you can get this to about the same return, but for two thirds of the volatility. Now, alternatives generally have lower liquidity than public assets. So that, that's something for investors to be mindful of. But in our estimation, there, there are large portions in everybody's portfolio that, that aren't needed to provide liquidity. So you know, that, that's a perfect place to start. Well, interestingly, what you're telling me would not have been possible for individual investors to achieve in the past. But that too is changing. I mean, access to alternatives is no longer the domain of large institutions. Maybe you could talk to us about this increased access, which many call the democratization of finance. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a change that's that's you know happened slowly. But alternatives, and and particularly when we we define them as as you know private alternatives to public assets, did used to be the domain of large institutions. Many opportunities were, you know, only available to banks or, or you know, other financial institutions and large ones at that. Uh, but that's changed, you know, partly as a result of regulation enacted in the wake of the financial crisis, you know, notably Dodd-Frank and the Volcker rules. You know, because of those institutions have had to shed certain activities, which has created, you know, for the first time, you know, a real opportunity for investors to participate in some of the alternatives. Well, and let's say that the listeners are interested in going beyond publics and adding alternatives to their portfolios. How should they go about doing that? Yeah, so, so, so democratization of finance is a great buzzword. And it is happening, but it's, it's not always easy. There are some real challenges that investors need to consider. Uh, so, so first off, like you still need to think about portfolios in the same way that you've always thought about them, which is you know, diversification. You need to have a, a well-diversified portfolio and in alternatives that can be difficult. Uh, it may require having you know, multiple relationships uh, with multiple managers in, in multiple funds. Other things that need to be considered are you know, manager alignment. So you, you want to make sure that the managers you're partnering with are aligned with investors and not just incented by some fee structure that, that makes them 
you know, seek risk that isn't intended. You know, deployment planning. So if you invest in alternative funds, uh, cash flows can be uncertain. You have you know, ongoing capital calls, distributions, uh, and, and you might have to reserve large amounts of cash to ensure that capital is available for those calls, uh, which can be a pain to manage and a drag on returns. And also there's complex investing and tax reporting. So, you know, multiple K-1s and uh, other unfamiliar or administratively challenging reporting. You know, all, all of these are the practical realities. But in, in addition, alternatives have to contend with uh, what, what seems like a deep-seated belief that, you know, they're, they're riskier than publics. You know, it takes a bit of courage to step in and, and broaden out, but we think that the returns and the, the rewards are there. We at Apollo have been thinking about these challenges for quite some time. The Athene portfolio has invested in its own allocation to alternatives uh, you know, for over a decade. And these are all challenges that we've had to address internally while we managed uh, you know, portfolios. So we understand these challenges and we've you know, been working on strategies and vehicles that can help investors find turnkey solutions you know, for their allocation to alternatives. So how should people think about this in practical terms when they think about alternatives from a portfolio perspective? Um, some people through their career, when they come to the end and they approach retirement, of course, begin to take less risk and begin to allocate more to bonds. Uh, what are the considerations to take into account when it comes to alternatives about how to invest through the life cycle? So alternatives can really be thought about as a as a tool, you know, really at any stage of an investor's life cycle. Again, you starting with the 60/40 portfolio as as the benchmark. You know, if you're at the beginning of your investment life, we we talked about the cost of volatility. So that cost of volatility will compound, you know, over 20, 30, 40 years over your investing life. So if you can replace some of that volatility with investments that have lower volatility, then your outcome you know, should be higher over the long run. But also, like a- as you approach retirement, uh, so so the normal path is you know you start off with sixty forty, and then as you as you near retirement, you start to become concerned with the the outcome. So your know, market conditions at, at the time of retirement are are really important, uh, and so so naturally you, you start to shift some of the equity allocation to to fixed income uh really in an effort to reduce volatility and and make the retirement portfolio more certain but if you can allocate some of that to alternatives then you can you know, have more comfort that your retirement portfolio will be less volatile and so you can achieve higher returns because you're not shifting out of higher returning equities into fixed income you're shifting out of higher returning equities into you know what what should be higher returning alternatives you know i think one other benefit you know that investors should think about is is that in private markets generally speaking the fixed income component is is floating rate and so when you go through bouts of increased inflation like what we've got today you'll naturally be protected as the increase in floating rate assets moves to insulate you from that inflation increase well with that I think we've touched on a number of great points. Why don't we close out here? Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Torsten. And thank you as always to our listeners for tuning in. Apollo Global Management Incorporated, together with its subsidiaries, Apollo, makes no representation or warranty expressed or implied with respect to the accuracy, reasonableness, or completeness of any of the statements made during this podcast 
including, but not limited to, statements obtained from third parties. Opinions, estimates, and projections constitute the current judgment of the speaker as of the date indicated. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Apollo and are subject to change at any time without notice. Apollo does not have any responsibility to update this podcast to account for such changes. There can be no assurance that any trends discussed during this podcast will continue. Statements made throughout this podcast are not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for accounting, legal, or tax advice and do not constitute an investment recommendation or investment advice. Investors should make an independent investigation of the information discussed during this podcast, including consulting their tax, legal, accounting, or other advisors about such information. Apollo does not act for you and is not responsible for providing you with the protections afforded to its clients. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security, product, or service, including interest in any investment product or fund or account managed or advised by Apollo. Certain statements made throughout this podcast may be forward-looking in nature due to various risks and uncertainties. Actual events or results may differ materially from those reflected or contemplated in such forward-looking information. As such, undue reliance should not be placed on such statements. Forward-looking statements may be identified by the use of terminology including, but not limited to, may, will, should, expect, anticipate, target, project, estimate, intend, continue, or believe, or the negatives thereof or other variations thereon or comparable terminology.